The latest climate report is out, this time focusing on oceans and the cryosphere. So uh, events which might be as rare as once in a hundred years at the moment are expected to become perhaps even annual events moving into the future. £20 million of government money for the UK space weather projects. We'll be launching spacecraft out of the UK in the next couple of years. We'll be able to support them because not just terrestrial weather affects them but also space weather. And it's been a wet week. But what about the weekend and beyond? This weekend, we're going to see the highest tides of the year, potentially coinciding with the risk of coastal gales. It's Thursday, the 26th of September, and you're listening to Weathersnap from the Met Office. Hello, I'm Claire Nazir, and you're listening to Weathersnap, an insider's guide to the week's weather brought to you direct from Met Office HQ. It's been a week of climate news, from the United Nations Climate Summit in New York two startling headlines of the Mont Blanc Glacier becoming increasingly unstable in the Alps. On Wednesday, the International Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, released its latest report focusing on the impacts of climate change on the oceans and cryosphere. A team of Met Office scientists has contributed to this paper. And earlier on, I spoke to fellow and manager of Ocean Modelling Group here at the Met Office, scientist Dr Helene Hewitt. So, Helene, you are involved in the modelling side of this work, but the Met Office also are involved in the observational side. Can you tell us the difference between those? Yeah, so the Met Office contributes to the observations through our programmes where we have things like Ocean Boys out in the ocean, uh, satellite observations. And then from the modelling side, we do a lot of work to produce models of the ocean, the sea ice, and then those are used to project what the future will be for the oceans and the cryosphere. When you talk about models, you're talking about computer models, which in effect are equations which represent the characteristics of the ocean and the atmosphere. Yeah, that's precisely uh, what we mean by a model. Many thousands of lines of code. We run on massive supercomputers to produce the results. So let's focus on ice first of all. And ice in particular across the world is very vulnerable to changes in global temperature. In the report it talks about the Arctic warming twice as fast as other parts of the world. You see from a satellite very easily how much sea ice cover we have in the Arctic. Particularly over the last few decades there's a very clear uh, sign of decline, very low sea ice particularly in summer years and at the moment it's heading to a quite a low value for this year. Let's talk about land ice because that has other impacts as well, doesn't it? As well as increasing the global temperature. Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, the report shows clearly that the ice sheets and the glaciers are melting. The water from the glaciers then enters the ocean and that has the uh, impact of rising sea level. So there are two big contributions to sea level, the meltwater from the glaciers and the ice sheets and the expansion of the oceans as they become warmer. Perhaps not surprising headlines here, but certainly startling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, sea level will impact on a lot of people around the world. Another aspect of sea level that we see in this report is the more frequent occurrence of extreme sea level. So uh, events which might be as rare as once in a hundred years at the moment are expected to become perhaps even annual events moving into the future. Let's now focus on how climate impacts affect 
the oceans in general. So we're talking sea level rise here, but there's other things as well, isn't there? Yeah, so one of the big things we've seen in this report is that the oceans are actually reducing in the amount of oxygen they have, which has big impacts for ecosystems and marine life in general. Let's now talk about ocean currents, and particularly for us, the Gulf Stream, which keeps us significantly warmer than the equivalent latitude across the eastern seaboard of Canada. Now, we've talked in the past about how these warm currents could actually fail with climate change. It's not as simple as that, is it? No, it's a really very complex system in the uh, Atlantic with what's called the meridional overturning circulation. As this report shows, projections do suggest that this will weaken as we go uh, through this century. But it is very unlikely that we will see a collapse of that system. So a shutdown of what's known as the Gulf Stream and very cold conditions here are not what this report is suggesting. Dr Helene Hewitt, thank you very much. The operational floor at the Met Office is home to a wealth of weather expertise including meteorologists, aviation forecasters and a flood forecasting team. It also houses the Space Weather Department, a 24-7 operational unit that focuses on solar activity. It's a relatively new department, formed just five years ago, but their work is essential. This week, the UK government has announced a £20 million investment into new research and development. Earlier, I spoke to Mark Gibbs, Head of Space Weather here at the Met Office. Mark Gibbs, Head of Space Weather, that's a title, isn't it? It is, yes, yeah. I bet you're thrilled about what's happening this week regarding the government pledging £20 million for R&D research and development into space weather. Yes, a really important step forward. This is the next stage in investment that will enable us to develop much improved and better services for a range of customers. Where is this money actually going? So most of it will go to academic institutes. So there's a lot of fantastic capability in the UK, but up until now the research funding hasn't been there for us to be able to capitalise on it. So this will take the science and knowledge that's in the academic community and make it fit for our use in an operations centre. The Mutt Office is only one in three institutions in the world that house space weather operationally 24-7, the other two being in the US. So here in the Met Office we don't just service what's happening around our airspace, it's global. Absolutely, it's a global enterprise. So we're talking to centres in the US all the time, trying to get the best possible forecast. And whilst the government funding is focused on UK interests, we're necessarily forecasting for the whole globe. And what are you actually forecasting? Really what the sun is sort of spitting out towards the earth, uh, which is the solar wind, solar flares. But the thing we're most concerned about is a thing called coronal mass ejections, which is actually releases of, of matter from the sun's corona and they can have uh, huge impacts on the Earth, and that's why space weather is on the UK's National Risk Register. So where are we going next with this? So we extend the range of services we can do, but also the accuracy of those services. So particularly to sectors like the developing space sector, particularly in the UK, there's the UK Spaceport will be launching spacecraft out of the UK in the next couple of years. Where's that going to be, the UK Spaceport? So there's going to be a vertical launch site in northern Scotland, but also three horizontal launch sites spread around the country. So we'll be able to support them because not just terrestrial weather affects them, but also space weather. What's the timeline for that? That sounds really exciting. Well, in the next couple of years, we should see the first launches out of the UK, but really does herald a new chapter for the UK in terms of its space industry. 
So Mark, let's talk about our partnership with the European Space Agency. That's very important to us because up until now, the UK doesn't uh, fly its own satellites. It actually works for the European Space Agency. In the plans at the moment is a dedicated space weather mission, which will fly to what's called the Grange 5 position, which is about 93 million miles away from Earth. And that gives us a side-on view of the Sun-Earth line. So we can view material that's coming off the Sun and heading towards the Earth. And we're hoping that in the ESA Council of Ministers meeting latest autumn in November, that mission will get funded with an expected launch about 2025. Brilliant. So a fresh view on the Sun. Absolutely. And it will help us predict the arrival of these coronal mass ejections. So it's really important. Mark Gibbs, thank you very much. Last week, it was high pressure and sunshine. This week, low pressure and rain. But what do we have in store for the weekend and beyond? Here's Ada McGiven. Plenty of autumnal weather happening this weekend. There'll be areas of low pressure crossing the country. There'll be outbreaks of rain. And there'll also be strengthening winds. The wind's a key feature through the weekend because, of course, this weekend we're going to see the highest tides of the year. Very high astronomical tides potentially coinciding with the risk of coastal gales. Now, across Scotland and Northern Ireland, actually, here the winds won't be quite so strong through the weekend and there'll be plenty of dry weather as we start off Saturday for much of Scotland. England, Wales, as well as Northern Ireland through Saturday, likely to see heavy showers, especially during the morning. The showers easing a little later in the day as the skies cloud over and the winds pick up some strength. That wind will make it feel cool, but the wind strengthens further later Saturday ahead of an area of low pressure which is moving in from the Atlantic. And there are some details that are still open to doubt, especially later in the weekend. But it looks highly likely that we'll see some wet weather across western and northern England, as well as Wales, on Saturday night. The higher ground in particular, Wales, the South Pennines, likely to see 30, 40 millimetres in just a few hours. That additional rainfall could lead to flooding, a yellow warning in force. Now, that rain is also accompanied early Sunday by strengthening winds. Around the coasts of Wales, as well as south and southwest England, we're likely to see gusts of 50 miles an hour. And because these gusts are likely to coincide with high tides, there is the risk of big waves coastal overtopping of waves and some spray around coastal areas. The precise details are still uncertain and so it's certainly worth paying close attention to the forecast over the next couple of days. Thanks Aidan. Now over to Martin Bowles with last week's highs and lows. Here are your weekly extremes from Monday the 16th of September to Sunday the 22nd of September. The highest max occurred last Sunday on the 22nd of September when Weybourne in Norfolk reached 27.7 Celsius. The early hours of Friday morning saw a temperature drop to minus 0.3 Celsius in Kinlochhue in the Northwest Highlands. Sunday was also the wettest day. Darylin in Northern Ireland, that's in County Fermanagh, recorded 39.8 millimetres. And finally, Thursday and Friday were the sunniest days, with East Malling in Kent clocking up 12.2 hours of sunshine. Thank you, Martin. That's it for Weather Snap. I'm Claire Nazir. This week's producer was Adrian Holloway. Do join us again next time when we take a closer look at the week's weather headlines.
Weather Snap is a podcast by the UK Met Office.